1: Hey there! You have found the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. We are recording on Thursday, January the 20th, uh, shade before 9 a.m. Central Time. Uh, joined as always by Scott Docterman from The Athletic. I am Rob Howe uh, from various parts um, uh, and some parts unknown. Scott and I had considered doing this outside on a picnic table today, but... Uh, then we looked at uh, the sub-zero temperatures. My kids are home from school. Iowa City Schools uh, canceled today with, uh, I think the threshold is like minus 20, 21, 22 in there. It's like the whatever the, the threshold is for frostbite in 30, 30 minutes is, I think, how Iowa City Schools uh, judges that. So they're home today. So if you're listening to this podcast in somewhere, you know, in a, in a warm location, uh, you should feel lucky because Scott and I uh, are going to do our best not to leave the house today. Yeah,
0: I'm, I'm not leaving. Um, <laughs> the only thing I'm going to do is, uh, you know, in a little while after I get my washer fixed, I'm going to have to, I'm going to start a fire down here. That's, uh, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it's horrible. It's it, but it is, it's mid January. It's kind of like you live here, you sign up for this. It's just a matter of be careful and, don't do anything stupid while you're outside and and that includes hopefully your car starts uh, you know you don't have to try to jump it or install a new battery, but otherwise stay inside. Saturday should be a little bit better it should be twenty four which will feel balmy compared to today
1: yeah, and that's good news for uh, Iowa basketball, which will host its lone Saturday big Ten game this year three thirty penn state um, we uh, I know you had asked Fran about that when we talked to him on Tuesday, I guess it was um, just yeah. on kind of the schedule breakdown and uh, the inequities that we see there. Um, I think, you know, when you look at it, it's it's TV driven. Um, is there a way they can make it more equitable? Probably. Um, but everything comes after TV.
0: It's a it's a strange dynamic simply because there are so many principles and factors in play when they when the big Ten puts this together that that's not one that they supervise like Iowa a couple of years ago had eight um, and that was a year I think it was like the 2019 year so it wasn't like it was a you know, a team expected to compete at the national level, it had eight and this year it has three on the weekend and two of them are on Sundays. And it's like, uh, you know, I asked Fran about that because when you look at, um, you know, Michigan state has six on a Saturday and one on a Sunday. And it's like, come on, you know, this it's a competitive disadvantage. There's a lot of factors going on. Um, So, You've got it. You got to look at it. If you're a school, if you're at Iowa or anybody else, you know, Northwestern has the same number at, as at three. Penn State has four. Rutgers has four. Illinois even has four. That I think, in some ways, you need to say we need a more equitable system, which is maybe no more than no fewer than four, no more than seven. You know, because you're dealing with women's basketball, you're dealing with wrestling. Some arenas have. Um, hockey, you have concerts, you have um, just all kinds of different events that they've got to schedule for. So it's understandable considering all the factors of trying to get this to work, plus television, as you said, which still is probably the most important dynamic. But it's about not so much um, Iowa playing Michigan on a Saturday in Ann Arbor. It's just every now and then flip it. You're going to get a, probably a better crowd in Iowa City anyway. So just once in a while, flip it over.
1: It is a complicated puzzle. And I would submit that, uh, you know, a Saturday game against Penn State, um, people say, well, I wish it was Wisconsin or Michigan State. Well, those games are going to get attended even during the week better than if you were playing Penn State on a Monday night. So I I don't think it's that much of a a drawback that it's not a more attractive matchup. Um, It's more logistical. Um, people driving from, you know, I don't know, Sioux City, Council Bluffs, Des Moines, um, wherever they're coming from, Dubuque, um, especially this time of year. I mean, we started the podcast with weather. Um, that That's a factor as well. I mean, you just don't know. That's, that's kind of a, a, you know, an unpredictable element of this um, that plays into it. But Just from, you know, if you take away all the outside stuff, Saturday day games or any Saturday games, because you're not having to travel Friday night after work. No. And you're not having to travel back home on a Sunday night or something when school's on Monday. It is the most attractive day of the week. The
0: question is, um, in a lot of cases, the the television ratings are actually better through the week. So that's why you see. You know, like Iowa's had uh, two Thursday night games this month. Well, they've had Indiana, and then next week it'll have Purdue. Those are games that are going that would be semi well attended. They Indiana would have been better on a Saturday no question, but it just has um, the uh, there will be more eyeballs probably on a eight o'clock or even nine o'clock Eastern uh, television set than it would at a one o'clock Saturday afternoon. However, the flip of that is, and this is where Iowa and other teams need to, get, need to get involved is, um, Iowa's situation is unique. It's a lot like Kent State, somewhat like Nebraska in that, that there's a heavy, um, fan base out without, you know, outside of 50 miles that you're going to really hurt by having some of these games. And then it leads to atmosphere, and then it leads to competitiveness, and, and of course finances, um, because if you have two thousand tickets unsold at uh, at twenty bucks a pop, that's that's forty k. That's some that, that's a low level staffers, uh, uh, you know, salary for the year that you're missing out on in some cases. So I think that's uh, you know that's something that needs to be addressed. But if you've got an atmosphere that's rocking 15,000 at at Carver for for Purdue on a Saturday afternoon, you might have a better chance of pulling that upset than 12,000 at eight o'clock on a Thursday night. And and so I, I think it's it's nothing sinister, it's nothing stupid that the Big Ten's doing. They're spreading the games out because I I've talked to them about these scheduling principles, and it is very difficult for them to line them up anyway. But I think if the coaches and the administrators say, look, we just need a little bit more help here, and they vote for that and they, they believe in it, then the Big Ten will do it. And then it'll it'll help the fans because you know, Penn State sold out on Saturday. If, if Penn State, if this, if they had two more weeks and they're playing, you know, take your pick, any other team in the league on a Saturday afternoon or early Saturday evening, it'd be sold out, great arena, potential for a win, could it ultimately be the difference between getting in the NCAA and an NIT berth.
1: Yeah, no question, and there are a lot of uh, a lot of layers to having to put that schedule together. Basketball is much more year to year with scheduling than football is. Football seems to schedule like 10, 15 years out where I'm talking non-conference more than conference, uh, but even conference-wise, uh, those schedules are, are figured out and those, those facilities aren't as multi-use as these arenas are um, with, you know, the different sports, uh, you know, Disney on ice, <laughs> <It's laughs> Parliament Bailey Circus, Yeah. Concerts, whatever's coming through there. So it's a much more difficult puzzle to put together. Um, But uh, maybe they can look at it in blocks of time and try to make it more equitable because trying to, trying to do it like year to year is going to be difficult just because of those logistics. So maybe over a block of time, you can say, okay, over this five year span, it's pretty even in terms of who has what. Yeah. And, And then for every, we're talking men's
0: basketball, but what about women's basketball? They believe in the same tenets and priorities and they don't want to get pushed off to seven o'clock Sunday night. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and that's, you know, what BTN looks at now, not this weekend, of course, not the, not against the NFL, but, but those are games that generate a lot of eyeballs in a lot of cases. And, and so they don't want to be pushed off to some random night, random time. So you've got to be equitable there uh, because that can be problematic. Big picture wise, um, uh, wrestling's big at Iowa and at other schools, they'll put them in a secondary gym. They don't care because they'll get a couple hundred fans. It's kind of like a gymnastics meet at Iowa. You know, it's big here, but it's not big everywhere. Um, hockey, like at, um, uh, is played at the Kohl Center in, in Wisconsin, and it's played at the what, Schottenstein Center, I think is what it's still called, in, in Ohio State. So you got to figure out a lot of different things. So it's not just, you know, they just try to put it together and say, here we go. So it's really up to the coaches and the athletics directors just to come together and say, look, we understand this is a really hard issue to, re- to schedule everything in. And, and as you said, concerts, special opportunities, maybe you have, Different things you want to do, but you know they do also have to say we really need at least four on a on a weekend, and Friday can kind of figure into that, you know, because people don't necessarily everybody, but journalists, you know, have to (laughs) don't have to worry about Saturday, Uh, but you know, just something in that neighborhood, because otherwise you're looking at some real challenges. and and attendance, financial challenges, and then competitive inequality.
1: Yeah, I think the competitive point is the one for me um, because I don't think any of these schools are going poor, particularly in the Big Ten. There's enough money there. It's really uh, from a competitive advantage and and the fairness to uh, the student-athletes that are putting in the time to compete against each other and and making making it as competitively balanced as you can. And there needs to be maybe the Big Ten, and uh,
0: they've done some interesting changes over time. You know, it wasn't that long ago there were only sixteen league games, and it went up to eighteen for a while. Now it's been twenty for a few years. Here, Uh, they've moved two games to Championship Weekend for the football championship. Maybe they need to look at it and say, uh, you know, if if attendance is an issue, if financials are an issue, maybe you extend that league season. For a week or two or three even in, in December where students are still on campus, in most cases, weather isn't as severe. Mm-hmm. There's some snowstorms on occasion, but you're not always going to get, wow, it's below zero. Um, and then use, teams can use that block from, say, December 20th to January 15th, and maybe they'll sprinkle in a couple of games, but otherwise you can use some more non-conference. Ball, so maybe you can get six games in december and then spread the rest out so if if attendance is better um and on the weekends because after championship weekend um you know usually you get for especially in the big 10 you'll get two more weekends of uh football free uh, you know situations without and with students being able to attend so yeah. i think that's something that you know needs to be considered now you have i have graduations you know so maybe iowa says we just we, – we don't – we'd like to do, like, the second son, Saturday and, in December, but not the third.
1: And then yeah, they'll you've say, got okay. We've got the finals, yeah. academic finals, too, that I were – what is it? Seven-day window, that one week, yeah. so Right. That would be out.
0: Yeah. So they can do some tinkering, and there's mm-hmm. really no problem with it. And I'm sure that BTN would love to have that rather than ewee Pewee at, at Indiana or – Eastern Illinois at at Northwestern, I'm sure they would love to have Indiana at Northwestern or um, Iowa's Wisconsin or whatever. No doubt. And
1: uh, One program that has done well in in boosting its attendance, here's my segue into last (laughs) night's Iowa Rutgers game in Piscataway. Um, Steve Peichel's just done a great job with that program. Whatever you think of last night's game, uh, he's made Rutgers relevant again. And yeah. uh, it's it been since like the seventies since they were uh so <laughs> it's uh it's a pretty good deal to see he's got a team that plays really hard uh physical basketball um, which kind of uh made the the play at the end of the game um, I know most of you folks listening to this probably know what we're talking about if you haven't you can google it there's a lot of uh there's a lot of anger out there from the Iowa fan base uh and and I've seen other uh, competitors fan bases ones you wouldn't think that that mm-hmm. called out how bad of a, a call it was on Keegan Murray uh, uh, against Keegan Murray guarding Ron Harper Jr. Uh, with two seconds left in the game Harper's two free throws uh, give uh, Rutgers a 48-46 victory important win for them a, a tough loss for Iowa which had won Two in a row, got back to 500. had a chance to go over 500 for the first time in the Big Ten this year, and uh, came up short. And, you know, I, I I would find it hard, Scott, to find somebody that would say that that was a good call or, or an accurate call. I mean, technically, I, I, one of the Big Ten Network studio guys, maybe it was Ray Phelps Davis, yeah, said there was a bit of an arm bar there. But, I mean, that was – so minor compared to what went on in that game, and uh, it was it, it was such a bad call. Um, yeah. And I'm not one that that jumps on the official the official train of you know this official these officials cost us a game. And, I mean, I think there's way too much complaining about officiating. Yeah. Um, but last night that was just that that was one of those ones where you'll remember you know yeah. for, forever because of how uh, egregious it was.
0: It was ridiculous. I think we can all agree to that. When you do see people who, you know, Illinois fans, Wisconsin fans uh, reaching out that say, you know, Hey, I don't love Iowa, but this is, a, this is a BS call. And you, you understand. And I, I think everybody would feel the same way. And it's not that they didn't want to see Iowa lose. You just don't want to see them lose that way and, mm-hmm. and to see that kind of a play. And I, I feel the same way in all sports when things get. Over officiated, or the outcome is decided based on that. Now, I think we can agree. Iowa played played like shit, you know, <laughs> throughout the game. Offen- Offensively, they played their best game defensively. Yeah, I'll give them that. But you know, it's basketball, so we always kind of skew to the offensive side. Offensively, they played very poor, and that not. And I'm not saying they deserved to win, but I'm saying that if Ron Harper would have. Would have rose up and he would have gotten his arm clipped, called the foul. That's deserving. In this case, it was, it was nothing. It was not even barely a touch. And to see the physical play for what happened almost on every possession and then have it out, the outcome determined by that, because with two seconds left, and the game's tied, and you have that play is the, basically the last legitimate scoring opportunity of the game. And I just, I that didn't sit well with me. I know it certainly didn't with Iowa fans. And and you can't help but look big picture with this team because I, I've thought all along this team's going to be skating on the border of uh, between NCAA bubble, NIT, and now they're three and what three and four and instead of being four and three and that matters and it matters with you know different quadrant wins it matters with and at the end of the year when everybody's in the committee's meeting and trying to decide who's going to be there they're not going to look and say yeah but Iowa would have been this if this would have happened it just isn't going to happen so it's really a a sad situation and uh, and one that I don't know if the Big Ten will address, but they at minimum need to address it internally, because it's just not very it, it,
1: it makes the whole league look bad. Yeah, and, and you know, you, you look at it and say, okay, well if that foul is not called and, and Rutgers doesn't get a shot off or does, it goes into overtime. So I'm yeah. not sure it cost Iowa the game per se, but it cost Iowa its opportunity in overtime to win. And I was surprised they reversed the Tucson way up at at the end of the first half. I didn't think there was evidence to overturn the call on the floor, which was that it was a basket. Right. Um, So that one bugged me too, but, but you kind of live with that one. And it's a, you know, it's kind of a judgment call. You know, what do you see is the ball still, you know, the, the, replay on that it was just it was inconclusive so it shouldn't have been overturned in my opinion um but the but the foul call was just i mean that was there for everybody to see that's how it was so bad well
0: you know and i I look at the the two calls that kind of evened out were one the toussaint one which i I agree with you it looked inconclusive and and the 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 call stands you know like we'd have in the nfl it stands um and then with, I think, 58 seconds left, there was the out of bounds play. Iowa was down yeah. three and uh, initially was called off one of the Murrays. I can't remember which one. And then and then they reversed that and allowed Iowa to get the ball. And I thought, same thing. It was It looked inconclusive to me that it probably should have stayed with Rutgers. But I thought that evened it out a little bit there. The last one was like, "Come on, man, what, what are we doing here? Why are you calling this?" I the possession before where Iowa tied it up, I was looking at Bohannon in particular trying to get open, and he got grabbed three different times on the inbound, and it was just like you could call a foul on every single one of them, and it'd be legitimate. And instead, you know, uh, you know, they they scored and they tied the game, but. Those are fouls. This was ticky-tack touch. Um, this is worse than a, than a roughing the passer call on Aaron Rodgers that will see you this week. <laughs> <one.
1: laughs> uh, yeah, you can get a shot in there if you want. Yeah. Football Sorry. shots are always uh, uh, <laughs> encouraged here. Um, yeah, um, moving away from that, just looking at the game a little bit, as you said, it was uh, offensively challenged. Uh, I do think some of that was good defense. I think a lot of that was good defense by both teams and just kind of the nature of the game. Uh, it, it kind of started clunky and just never got out of that. There was a little bit of a spurt there, but it, I don't even know if you could classify it as a spurt. Dude, teams were actually scoring points. I guess what <laughs> is how you would uh, frame it, but, um, Just some unusual things. I know, um, you know, seeing Jordan Bohannon shoot two air balls in one game is is very odd. Um, You know, Keegan Murray, I I thought Rutgers, and I'm sure, you know, if you look back at the tape, you're going to see a lot of clutching and grabbing on him uh, to keep, you know, Freedom of movement was not really allowed last night. So, um, But it was a good experience for him to know that there are going to be games in the Big Ten where he's just going to be um, manhandled. And he was yeah. last night, and that hurt. And there really wasn't – somebody asked me this last night, who is Iowa's second-best offensive player after Keegan Murray? I don't know. It's, inc- it's an inconsistency problem with that second, third, who are your guys? You know, and it can be a different guy every night, but last night it was was a little bit more pronounced because there just really wasn't. Berbracha was has been a little bit better the last few games, uh, but Chris Murray's been inconsistent. Tony Perkins has been inconsistent. Bohannon, Patrick McCaffrey, just real inconsistency with guys that can take pressure off of Keegan. And that, to me, would be the concern moving forward. For sure. And you look at, uh, you know,
0: pretty much any statistical category. I mean, immediately people jump to points. And, uh, you know, Patrick McCaffrey had 11. But he only had three rebounds in 30 minutes and, you know, one for five from three. And then, you know, Rebraca was, you know, had eight points, 10 rebounds. But, um, you know, again, was he fully, did he do the, the job? You know, Joe Toussaint. Hey, you know, he had eight points. He was two or three shootings, so he was efficient there, five assists. But then he also had three turnovers. And, and it's just, uh, yeah, nobody really kind of came up. And I think that's the problem. We saw that at first with Iowa State on the road. And I think that Iowa State's a better team than Rutgers. And uh, where nobody really, I think Bohan in that day was pretty decent, but nobody else really did anything to kind of help Keegan Murray out. And I think that's what teams are going to be more and more solidified towards because the big 10 is a well coached league. Almost every coaching staff is, is really, they they don't roll out the ball and let them go up and down the floor very often. They, they scout really well. And, and uh, I think that's going to be the problem for the Iowa Hawkeyes is they're going to say, just slow down Keegan Murray. We'll take our chances with everybody else and we'll be okay. And we'll at least be there in the end. Um, But they've got to find a couple other players to really supplement you know, because 13 and 13, you know, is, is, is a decent day. <laughs> you know, a double-double, you know, for anybody. You now, the nation's leading scorer, uh, you know, you can ask for more, but um, I just think that they should have done, uh, that they need more. And as you said, you know, Jordan Bohannon going two for 11, you know, two for 10 from three-point range, missed a lot of – missed some open threes and airballed some threes. And and you're, for, you're like – you, you, that's your job right now. You're not the point. You know, maybe you need to be the point. I don't know. And then they had zero points from their bench. So yeah. it's just there's a lot of blame to go around. We're all you know, everybody wants to talk about the officials and rightly so. Cost them a chance to go in overtime, maybe they get right and win. But you know, they did, they didn't exactly deserve to win this game, I can tell you. At least that's my point of view.
1: No, I agree. And uh they, I thought they deserved an opportunity to, to win it in overtime. That's kind of where I fall down yeah. on that, that, that call. Um, and, and we've both covered this league for a long time, Scott. These are some of the best coaches and coaching staffs in the sport, in the country. Um, and they're going to find ways to uh, – or ways that they think are going to slow Keegan Murray down. Um, sometimes they'll get away with – some things that maybe are, you know, living in that gray area of whether or not it's, uh, you know, a foul or not. Um, but, you know, you know, Michigan State's coming up, another game against Illinois, um, Ohio, at Ohio State, you name it. I mean, there's a lot of physicality in this league, and teams are going to dedicate resources to stopping him so it's important that other guys find a way to contribute on nights where because he's not a guy that's going to force them, and we saw that last night um, he had a shot blocked, I think late in that game uh, when he tried to take a shot from the outside um, he, he but he he doesn't force them. and so that's going he's going to defer, and when he does that, somebody else needs to step up and, and and pick up the slack um I noticed more last night each game that I see there's more sagging off of Joe Toussaint from the outside so that Mm -hmm. not only sags guys back to take the lane away from guys like Keegan Murray and Patrick McCaffrey um it it helps prevent Joe Toussaint from penetrating so they're going to have to figure out ways to combat that as well Um, he's been better this year. I think he's got little, you know, that little step back and, 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 you know, some, some more offensive repertoire to his game. Um, yeah. But you're seeing what you're seeing what the like, back to my original point, you're seeing what these really good coaching staffs and scouting reports are doing to Iowa.
0: Yeah. And maybe in some ways they need to, you know, th- three minutes for for Peyton Sanford in a game like this, he might have been a difference maker. And and uh, when you, you know, and I think people eventually will work their way around to Patrick or Connor McCaffrey. Uh, you know, took one shot, missed his open three. Teams do not respect him as a three point threat. So um, so sometimes when you do have Sant McCaffrey in the in the game at the same time, they're saying, go ahead and shoot it. You know, uh, go ahead and shoot that three. And uh, they need to make them pay a little more often. They know Keegan Murray can do it. Patrick McCaffrey can. But, um, you know, maybe it's time to, to kind of elevate Peyton Sanford. only took one shot, three minutes. He's, he's capable of taking that role once in a while, not in every game. The last night might not have been a bad opportunity um, to just kind of space the floor a little bit, take a shot or two, even if you miss it, but just get their – defense off the interior a little bit Uh, but you know it's something to learn from it's unfortunate that you have to lose a game like that now you have to steal one like that just to even it out it's possible I don't I don't think this league is so last year I thought it was really really elite until they got to March anyway Uh, now I, I think it's a little more even to where a Purdue at Iowa. I think Iowa can get a Purdue at home, um, a Michigan state teams like that, or, you know, this year you can do that. I don't know the last year, a team like Iowa now, not last year's Iowa, would struggle with that type of opportunity. So, but um, yeah, it, it's, it's one where they're going to, they're going to have to really look inside as to, you know, forget the last play, forget the foul call. What didn't work here? Because, That's really what's important going forward because if you play around too much, complain, you know, then Saturday could be a loss at home against Penn state and that will kill you in every single way possible.
1: Yeah. Penn state on Saturday, as as Scott mentioned, uh, Thursday a week from today is Purdue in Iowa city. Then a pair of road games uh, at Penn state to finish up the month uh, and then begin February at Ohio state. So, you look at it I was a game under 500 now they go two and two and those the games upcoming that's still a game under 500 so now that's how big that game was last night to just get over that hump because you're four and three you go two and two you know you're six and five and you're still okay in a league like this now you have to get something back whether it's the at Penn State mm-hmm. um, you know I don't know if they're at Northwestern this year, but some of those games mm-hmm. against the – like like last night, Rutgers, teams that mm-hmm. are in that middle. Um, you're going to have to get one of those probably because it's going to be hard to win at Ohio State and Illinois and Michigan State and Michigan. Those are going to be hard road games to win. Not saying I mean, they can't, but it's yeah. just
0: really difficult. Absolutely, it is. And, and, and it's the same way for them at Carver-Hawkeye Arena. Right. Um, you know, Illinois won by four. In a game where they had what thirty more rebounds, you know, so it, it was it was a, a very difficult game for Illinois. So I think in in some ways it 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 hurts the Mulligan factor, and you need that sometimes. And and that's if you got even teams, then I mean it all just shapes out. Rutgers now is five and two in the league. Iowa's three and four, so. you you start to even all that out and they get a higher seed in the, in the tournament in the big 10 tournament, Uh, easier game. Maybe it's an easier win versus a more difficult challenge. And, and then you lose and then, well, that drops you down a seed line in the NCAA tournament or ultimately out. And, and as you said, now you, you you really lose that opportunity to to fall against a really a, 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 mid-level to lower-level opponent. Um, so now you have to win against Minnesota at home. You have to sweep Nebraska. and You should win those games. Right. But now there's no margin for error. Um, you've got to beat, um, you know, um, like I said, Nebraska. You have to sweep Penn State. You you should do those things. But now, but every now and then you lose a game at Penn State or, you know, at Rutgers. And, and you just can't lose a few of these because then – you you start circling back to the non conference schedule and that will bite you in the ass when the NCAA committee gets together.
1: Yeah, I mean it's you see this, um, you know, th- there's no shame in losing that game last night. Michigan <clears throat> and Purdue have lost at Rutgers. I'm not sure how Rutgers is quad two team right now. I really don't. I don't. I mean, I think that kind of shows the flaw. There are flaws in the system. Uh, Iowa dropped from 21 to 25 last night in the net rankings. Um, see if I can find Rutgers. you know what they are? They are 105. Mm, that's, that's bad news. I mean – So Rutgers went from – they went up six spots, or my math is bad, eight spots from 113 to 105. Iowa drops four spots from 21 to 25.
0: Um, they lost some games early, they had some players out, and that, that, that impacted them, and that's the, that's the problem with the system. And, and really, to me, it's all about Big Ten. <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and what you do in the Big Ten, if you go 500-plus now, you should be well on your way to an NCAA tournament bid. But um, it just it removes you know, that layer of, of margin of error, and now you've got to start playing from behind. Now, they should win Saturday against Penn State. It's a sellout crowd. They're a better team. But then what? Then what after that? You know, then you've got, what, Penn State at home or Purdue at home. you got to win that. You've got Minnesota coming up. You've got at Penn State. You've got at Ohio State. And those games are difficult. And, you know, just, all right. I guess they beat Minnesota on the road. And now they'll, they'll play them at home. So you've got to hold serve. You can't have any Bad games, and that's that's hard because as we saw last te- last night, that was not a well played game at all by the best offense in the league. I mean, they're held <laughs> almost forty points under their average. That's you know that that's something that they they're going to get corrected, but you just can't have another one of these games, and that's that's hard for a team that's still
1: kind of building its character and identity on the floor. Yeah, and the game at Penn State is going to be a biggie just because. Again, it's similar to last night. I mean, Penn State beat Rutgers and beat Indiana at home already. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's not a layup like it is some years. Um, yeah, uh, Michael Shrewsbury Shrew- is it Shrewsbury? Shrewsbury? Yeah, he's uh, he's done a good job there. Um, he's getting quite a bit out of that team. It's been really competitive this year. So, um, but you got to start Saturday and bounce back with a win against Penn State there, and uh, still. Rebounding is a concern. I think that Iowa was out re- rebounded by 11 in the second half last night. It's too many, man. Yeah. And uh,
0: and as you said, I've been to, I, when I used to cover home and away with Iowa basketball, I've been to Penn State a lot where a lot of good Iowa teams have lost at Penn State. Um, it's just, it's a different environment. It's never full. Um, it, it just, Um, you need smelling salts to stay awake sometimes. Exactly. You know, it's a, what, Monday night game? And, (laughs) you know, it's just, you're not, it it could be four to 5,000 people there in a cavern and you just, you kind of go at your own pace. And a a lot of times if they let them play and let them play physical, then you get bogged down. And I remember one time it's like, there was like one possession (laughs) there where, Iowa got fouled I want to say four times and this is back when uh, Pete Patrick Chambers was the head coach and you've got Penn State fans of media saying come on you know this you know you're your favorite in Iowa and I'm like they're mugging Iowa because they know this is the only way they can beat Iowa and it worked you know so you, you just got to be prepared and you know and they go to Maryland and and at home, Iowa was able to take care of business, but you got to win that game too. I mean, they're a mid level, a lower level team. And, you know, you got Northwestern at home in the home finale. And, you know, Michigan's not very good right now. Um, you got got in,
1: uh, Michigan looked mm-hmm. good the other night. Dickinson's yeah. back. They've had some COVID issues. They're mm-hmm. still very formidable. But I know what you're saying. Yeah. They have, I think they're seven and seven or something right now. Yeah. So.
0: And, and, you know, you're going to have a decided, decided, disadvantage in the post they are going to out rebound the hell out of you so how are you going to compensate for that and you get them home and there um within a very short period of time only like two weeks difference so you're gonna have to you're gonna have to take one and and so you know you play Michigan State at home but not on on the road take advantage of that because you're not winning there um like you did last year so I, I think there's just there's opportunity it's just it 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 cut the cartilage a little bit between the, 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 the season for the, for the Iowa Hawkeyes.
1: Yeah. And for anybody who's wondering Penn state currently number 85 in the net ranking. So that is one that Iowa has to get at home. That would be not, that would not be a good loss. And uh, that would really uh, compound what happened last night. in Piscataway. So hopefully, uh, Hopefully it's a good outcome on Saturday. Uh, We'll be a good crowd, which will be good to see, because that hasn't been the case this season. Um, And then Purdue on Thursday, I I think, will be well attended. The students are back. So uh, that should be good. Two home games here. Uh, Get out and see the Hawkeyes if you have tickets. I'm I'm sure uh, there's a guy that sells tickets out uh, in that South be Southeast entrance man who's been there for as long as I've been selling tickets. So th- there are tickets out there and I'm not, I'm not on his payroll and I'm not, but there are people out there selling tickets if you really want to go.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's a nice guy. I talk yes. to him every time I walk in. And, <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, I, I, yeah, there, there will be tickets and it won't be 200 bucks a pop. I can tell you that.
1: No. So uh, we'll talk more basketball next week on the pod, and uh, we'll have an idea of what happened uh, Saturday, and we'll preview Purdue a little bit. Um, switch, switch over to football here, Scott. Um, I think it was shortly after um, we recorded last week that uh, we learned about Sam LaPorta and Charlie Jones' uh, decisions to come back. We, those were the two of the three that were still up in the air, And then the following day, uh, last Friday, we learned that Tyler Linderbaum did what pretty much everybody expected to do, and he's going to to go into the NFL draft. So got a little bit more clarity here on the roster. I know you've put together some depth charts, uh, projections. I did that earlier this month before uh, a lot of the roster movement. But some of the stuff you kind of knew was coming. Um, I'm not sure this is a big swing uh well, than you know what we were expecting here. I think uh, you know, we 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 had a feeling Linderbaum was going to need to be replaced. That's a huge, that's going to be a huge talking point this offseason. Um, you know, Charlie Jones coming back as the return guy, that's big. Uh Sam Laporta at tight end's big, replacing Dane Belt. And we're kind of getting an idea now where some of the openings are and some some of the things that could have been openings aren't in
0: Right, and I think overall Iowa did very well. Yeah, Um, you know Tyler Linderbaum. There was no reason for him to come back. Uh, I mean, he was, um, you know, a, a unanimous All-American, the tenth in Iowa history, won the Remington Award, has already graduated. So sometimes that kind of lingers out there. That well, I want to get my degree. He has nothing left to accomplish as a player at Iowa, and. He's going to be a high pick. I mean, it's it's unusual if he was to get the top ten, but I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, that hasn't happened to a center since 1968. But he's as capable as anyone. That uh, if you're your team, the Jets, and they say, "Hey, Connor McGovern, you're going to slide over to guard. We're drafting this guy. We think that this is our future with him hiking the ball every down to to Zach Wilson, um, and he sets the tempo and does all those things." But what it does is it creates a, a crater at center for Iowa that needs to be filled by somebody. You can't just leave that position vacant on the field. So um, I think this is probably, look at Mike my, Myslinski is, Hey, this is your chance. You prove that you can win it the way he proved he could win it in the, his first spring uh, as a redshirt freshman. Anyway, uh, Matt Fagan, uh, maybe Justin Britt, maybe another player steps into that role. Maybe it's even a, um, a transfer portal guy that's not here on campus yet, Hunter Norzad or somebody like that. Um, so th- I think there's, there's a lot of opportunity there. Th- let's just not pretend that they're going to feel it. and somebody's going to play just like Tyler And That's never, that may not happen again. Um, but I think Charlie Jones coming back is low key. One of the big decisions in the big 10, because now it means that their top four wide receivers all return and, and every single marker. So, um, you know, you're going to get an improved King and Johnson and Arlen Bruce and Charlie Jones. You know, it's hard to say what those conversations were like, but you'd think that he probably wants a little bit more exposure at wide receiver. And I will probably be more than willing to give it to him. And then Nico Reganey uh, had a lot of catches, uh, probably needs to be a little more explosive, a little more consistent. But that's a position now that you feel like, well, you know what? They're not they're not in bad shape. You know they, they can be okay. They can, you know, they don't even really need to hit that in the transfer portal or, or, or another position group. Now, um, defensive back. I talked to, to Dane last week and published that story. And, and Dane's going to be hard to replace, but um, they've got some capable players who can step in and, and compete right away and and do a nice job. and And it wouldn't shock me at all if uh, Xavier Wapa steps right in this spring as the cash and ends up being the player because when you look, Dane claimed that midway through his true freshman year, and and Xavier's got a a better starter kit, let's just say. So I think overall, other than losing Linderbaum, they're in okay shape.
1: Yeah, and as you said, there's going to be a drop-off at center. You just want to make that drop-off not precipitous, not to the point where it's, it's a noticeable struggle. And there are candidates, like you said, I mean, maybe it's Cody Ince. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I get, to me, you just get – you open that competition up and say, you know – and the good thing, Scott, is they're going to have to go against some now experienced defensive tackles. Whoever, whoever that is snapping the ball in the spring is going to get challenged by Iowa's defensive tackles. So you're going to get a good picture of how a guy looks based on your defensive tackles being right there with, you know, I'm not say that the top of the Big 10, but very, very, you know, a, a very good group to challenge yourself against.
0: For sure. I mean, Noah Shannon played really well this year. I thought, I thought he was kind of an unsung hero up front and you look at, at Logan Lee, I think has all big 10 capabilities, the way he grew and his trajectory over the last handful of games was, was outstanding. Um, I think Lucas Van Ness is, is destined to bounce outside. It wouldn't shock me if he ends up, being the starter and, and filling that role by Zach Van Valkenburg. Um, you know, he or Joe Evans, and maybe it's a split rep situation because I think his long, but he played really well inside in in YA black. They have the most upside and, and Logan Jones, we didn't really get to see him, but he was, you know, he's set weight room records, um, before he got injured last year. So they're going to have, they're going to have some real challenges in in the spring and in training camp that's going to prepare him, you know, greatly going forward. And, um, I, I, I mean, I think after, you know, and maybe even including the tackle situation, that might be priority number one for Kirk Ferrance anyway, is find a good center. Somebody can call the plays and do all that stuff. And if it's, if it's Cody Ince, it's Cody Ince. And, and, uh, he's a, because they've always said he's a five, he could play any of the five positions. And, um, I think he's an outstanding guard, though. I'd hate to move him from there. And I, you know, and I'm rooting for Justin Britt. He came back probably too early. From his torn ACL, that was probably pushed too much by the former offensive line coach, and got in there and didn't and hadn't really been able to to get past that. I'd like to see him be completely healthy, get it cracked. I think he's a good um, athlete, and if he can go in and be a center, I, you know, I think he can maybe. All right, now there's a good story. There's a guy who's had a rough, and we've seen that every single year. There's been that. Just about almost every year there's that guy who takes that step forward in his final year. I thought Kyler Schott was kind of that that this, this year anyway. And um and then as far as everybody else goes along the offensive line, now it's battle royale. Your your season really starts this week in tra- in the weight room. And if you're Bo Stevens, if you're David Davikoff or, or Connor Colby and Mason Richmond, and then your opportunities now. You got a chance to to really do something. And if you're Jack Plum and and uh and Nick DeYoung and all right, here you go. Open season. You better you better get better because they are they are their trajectories higher than yours. So you bet if you want to hang on to your role and play, voila. And and Tyler Ellsbury's probably in, in the middle there. And and if you know Tyler Andries, if he can if he's back, you know, he can be in the same
1: boat too. Yeah, the, out, the the outside on both lines is, is going to be interesting. You talked about Ben Ness potentially kicking out, and you've got, uh, you know, the veteran and Wagoner. You've got Deontay Craig, who's flashed at times. You've got Joe Evans out there. Um, there'll be good competition on that outside. And then, obviously, inside there's competition. Uh, does Colby kick out to tackle? Probably. Um, yeah. Could stay inside, could go outside, um, you know. With with shot leaving, uh, there's another guard spot open. Ince is coming back though, so that kind of, you know, you mentioned the other guys on the outside on, on offense as well. Uh, should be really good competition in the trenches on both sides of the ball this spring. And we've yeah. seen Scott. There's there's we're going there we're going to see more on defense than offense, but more than the allotted more than the starters will play.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I, I'm, I think there are so many, and obviously we'll we'll go through this with a fine tooth comb, especially when we get into the spring position by position, by position, you know, defensively, the only person they lose in the front seven is Zach and Valkenberg and he, he's going to be a tough, tough guy to replace. I don't know that he's more difficult than AJ Epineza was or Chauncey Golston was, but I think he's going to be a tough guy to replace. But then you look at the, at the growth from Lucas Van Ness or Deontay Craig or, you know, getting Ethan Herkett back. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, they've got opportunity there to really, um, if nothing else, just be deeper. And and the, the linebacking core, I think, could be one of the nation's best. Back seven's got some work, but, you know, we saw it with Jamari Harris. He had a couple games under his belt. He played his best game by far against Kentucky. He, his, his only problem was his shoulder got hurt and, and then he had to be replaced. But then Cooper Dejean. Um, you know, vaulted up and, and became a, a depth chart guy. And actually, he was in on the last series, um, you know, again, against Kentucky at cornerback, and he might be a safety candidate. Um, you know, Xavier Wampa, you know, TJ Hall could make an impact. We just haven't really, we don't know enough about it. So I, I like this defense. I think this defense could be even better. And last year, they, they led the country. They had the best, most interceptions by any Power Five team since 2014. And, uh, And they still averaged. I think they're ranked 14th in stopping the run, and uh, so I think they could be much improved in that regard. And an offensive line, it's it's kind of warm jello, but it'll mold, and I think they'll be better (laughs) this year. So,
1: my grandmother loved to make jello. (laughs) Oh, oh, we always knew when we went to her house we were going to get chicken for the main course and Jello for dessert. So I um, have my fill of Jell-O in my life. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't eat it much anymore, if that's a commentary on how I feel about <laughs> that dessert. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll have a lot more, uh, you know, roster talk. Um, we'll see what happens the rest of this month, Scott, um, in terms of additions to the roster, if any. Um, like you said, Hunter Norzad, he'll be visiting here um, the last weekend of January, but again, we'd like to, you know, we want to point out that he's not a, obviously, school's a, school has started. He's going to, you know, he's going for his degree at Cornell and w- would not go to wherever his next school is until, uh, you know, May, June area. So he w- would not be for spring ball. So that's, that's a component to think about. And Nathaniel Pete, the running back from Stanford, who we talked about last week, who Iowa had offered in the transfer portal is staying home. Uh, the Columbia native is going to Missouri. So um, again, we, we've talked about the transfer portal, Scott. It's it's it's, it's inter- you know fans, media. We have like sometimes we get we we need to step back and say what does the guy in the portal think, and what do the coaches think. What's the guy? You know, every they the guys in the portal are different than recruits coming out of high school. They've gotten a picture now of what college football is and what might be a good situation for them and what the depth charts mean at different schools. So um, that's that's to factor into. Because I had somebody uh, was complaining to me about Iowa not being active in the transfer portal. Um, it takes two to tango. Mm-hmm. Well, you know. Based on what I've seen in
0: the portal, and I've I've watched three different positions pretty closely that I thought Iowa could really look at, and that's offensive line, defensive line, and quarterback. And the thing is, the – linemen are overpicked (laughs) because everybody knows they're just a a a blocker or two away from from changing the game you know on offense the defense somebody can rush the quarterback or or stop the run and and Iowa's done a nice job in the past Coy Kronk would have been a good player if he wouldn't have gotten hurt again he's you know he lasted all year on the Jaguars practice spot Uh, Jack Heflin You know, still a a Green Bay Pack. He was a really good pickup for Iowa. But when you look at wide receiver, is Charlie Jones a better guy than whoever they would get there? I would argue yes. I mean, he's the Big Ten's returner of the year. He made big plays for you. And if you have the opportunity to bring him back versus unknown guy, I mean, let's just, you know, close our eyes for a second and think, you know, okay, Iowa just plucked the one of the top returners in the country. And, uh, you know, a, a big play threat and scored three touchdowns on offense and putting some long touchdowns, um, out of the transfer portal. And he's going to compete for a starting job. You'd be excited. And then you tell him everybody it's Charlie Jones. It's like, oh, okay. No, that don't say it that way. He's, he's definitely worth that. Sam LaBorda, we haven't talked about. I think he'll be in the top three tight ends in the country in the fall. He was outstanding and, and late in the year. Um, I'd say Michael Meyer and, uh, um, Brock Bowers are, you know, the only two that really, or maybe you put a little higher than him. Quarterback is the most fascinating one um, to me still. Is it going to be, is Spencer Petras going in day one? Is it completely wide open? Are they shut off to, you know, they're shut off for the spring, but what if a, a tremendous group of five quarterback becomes available in May or June and can help Iowa win right away? what would they do then? And if they want to take that leap from the Sun Belt or the Conference USA and come to Iowa, would they do that? Uh, I don't think that door is closed. I really don't. So that to me is is probably more fascinating than anything, but it's something that we just can't prepare for at this moment.
1: Yeah, and I, I think it's it's a good point, Scott, to view those guys that are coming back as almost like guys that are coming out of the transfer portal because you would be replacing those guys – if they left. And one of those guys is Riley Moss. So you got the defensive back of the year in the big 10 plucked out of, if you view it that way, because he's back, if he leaves, now you're replacing that. You don't have to replace that now. Um, I thought running back was a possibility um, mm-hmm. with Goodson going early. Um, yeah. But, you know, when you look at the, how the two guys, how the two, you know, uh, the Williams Brothers, not brothers, not related, yeah, yeah, yeah. performed in the uh, Capital One Bowl. If you're a running back in the portal, you know those two guys are there and they're coming back. Um, does that make it less attractive for you? Probably. I mean, that's going to factor in. Where do, I, where do I fit here? These guys have already been in the system for a couple of years. Can I come in and play right away? You mentioned Heflin and Kronk. They yeah. saw paths to playing time yeah. when they looked at Iowa. Tristan mm-hmm. Worst was gone, so Cronk was like, "Up, oh, there's a position that's open that I can compete for. Iowa had I – had, I can't remember who – Iowa had opening a defensive tackle. I can't remember who it was that had come off that – team. Reef. Reef and uh, oh. Chauncey – or not Chauncey. Uh, Chauncey's Latimer. So they needed to – and then Nixon was obviously one that was going to come in, but there was a path to playing time there. Right. Hunter Norzad. Yeah. There's a path to playing time here. He even said to me in, a, in my phone interview with him, I think come the summertime when I'm available, Iowa could use a veteran offensive interior offensive line. He's right. Mm-hmm. So those are you gotta look at it that way too, not just what you need and what you want. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Because you look at this roster, and if you make projections, I make the projection that defensively they're going to be better next year than they are this year. Now, they play Ohio State, so their statistics may be skewed a little bit. Uh, you know, that tends to happen. But I look at offensively, and I think tight end, they're as good as they've been since and Vance final season together. I think running back, they're okay. I think wide receiver, they're pretty good shape. Uh, there's not a Smith-Marset and a Brandon Smith there, but I think they're capable of being in that um, next level conversation. Offensive line, as I said, I think it's it's a mix, but I think that they got better. It was hard to see it, but they got better as the year went on. And I think this off season, you'll see kind of the urgency. And, and that very well could be at center. They're like, Man, Cody Ennis is best positions guard. I really don't want to play him at center, but he's that's where he may end up. Well, maybe that's where Hunter Norzad ends up. Or maybe it's, you know, Mike Meislitsky stepped right in there and he did. He wasn't exactly Linderbaum as a freshman, but he was close. We want to see him grow from that. You know, you know, all that remains to be said by how they compete in the weight room this you know, the next few months, how they compete in the spring, who's healthy at the end of the spring. Um, all those factors are, are key and crucial. And it might just be one player, but that may be the one player that they're missing. Um, and uh, and then, of course, uh, then, you, then you look at the big, big, big question mark for this team, and that's quarterback. Um, there's a reason why Alex Padilla came back, and it's not because he wanted to be number two, you know there must have been some discussion to say you will have an opportunity to win this job um Spencer Petrus is back there must be an opportunity you know he must have at least an opportunity to compete for the job and um and I don't think they're shutting the door on going outside and now now they can't because spring um you know classes have already started but I think there's there's a real possibility that that's that position's not going to be completely locked up by the end of spring, unless somebody just wows it. And,
1: and it's important to note, as you were kind of pointing out there, Scott. This is how we're evaluating the roster heading into spring. Yeah. Nowadays, a lot more movement, transfer portal. There's going to be attrition after the spring. It just it <laughs> happens every year. So. What happens in that quarterback competition in the spring? And does that lead to, you know, one of those guys moving on? It could. You don't yeah. know. I mean, I know yeah. the, the, the theories out there uh, based on what Chad Lysico uh, got from Alex Padilla's dad that he wants to graduate, but maybe that feeling changes if he doesn't feel like that comp- he's that close in the competition this spring. Um, you know, the, the defensive back room is pretty filled. Yeah. Offensive line room is pretty filled. I mean, there are there are some positions defensive line there. You just you don't know. So we're kind of evaluating this going into the spring. um, And then that's the next phase. And then you reevaluate after that. That's what the coaches have to do. And that's what they're doing now. They're evaluating what they have going into the spring. Then they see and they have their um, sample from the spring and then they go off of that. And then the players do the same thing. They
0: evaluate where they are. It bodes well for Iowa that they only had five guys enter the portal for the season and after the season. I thought there would be more than that, but uh, it does show that they see a path to themselves, you know, competitively. That even if right now they are on the outskirts, if you're a defensive back, if you're AJ Lawson or Brandon Diaz Fernandez, and or or even Dallas Craddath, you could say. Okay. The opportunity is there. Three starters have left. Now, if I don't, if I, by the end of spring and I'm not second team, then that's probably usually the, the dividing line for a lot of those guys. And I understand if it's so then maybe it's time to, if football is your number one priority in life, then it's time to go find another place where you know you can hit the field. If not, well, you know, graduation or, Hey, I like this team. I'm willing to do whatever it takes, uh, you know, while I'm here and, um, you know, like Devonte Young did, or whatever. Yeah. You know, then, then that's that's perfect. And if hey, I can get on the field playing special teams, and I and I'm self aware enough to understand that I probably won't get a pro opportunity, but maybe I'll try. By all means, you know, be a be a really good player for the Iowa Hawkeyes, and and, and there's no nothing wrong with that. But um, you know, I, I think you know Reggie Bracy and, and a lot of those guys that are in that second slash third group, Sebastian Castro. This is a pivotal spring for them. And, and I think there will be attrition. There just is. There always is. And now the transfer portal makes it more, makes it easier. Um, you know, offensive line could enter that same, uh, excuse me, boat. Uh, So, you know, now the, the wide receiver room got depleted pretty quick. (laughs) <laughs> there isn't much left on, uh, you know, as far as scholarship guys go that get, you know, maybe Devon, Deontay that you know, you know, if he doesn't get to play much, maybe he's the one that looks around, but I, I think there's the, and then, then right now I have them at 80 scholarships and then there's, I think three defensive players that either are or got moved to it or are going to get moved to it. So, and then you'll see some, subtraction to, um, you know, going into the summer.
1: Yep, and it's perfectly, as you said, it's perfectly okay if, you know, after the spring a player looks at where his lot is with his team or where he stands and decides, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere where I can have a better chance to play. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it worked out for Dominique Daphne. Oh, yeah, great example. You know, um, you know, you just you don't know, and that and that's not. There's nobody at fault there. You can't say somebody's to blame. It's just the way it is. It's and that's what's good about the transfer portal. You know, there are certainly drawbacks. There are certainly negatives, but ultimately, when it works well, it benefits everyone. Yeah. Mutually beneficial. It allows
0: players to to play the sport they want, and you know, and, and those defensive backs are the, are there in that case where it's yeah. like. After after camp, you're looking at I I can't quite crack crack the number twos, and even if I did, somebody else is going to move over a position and take that one, and then and then somebody else will get it So I may be number ten out of. On, on the depth chart that maybe it's time for me to go to a, a max school, um, an FCS program, step right in, play, play well, you know, D- Dominic Daffy a great uh, example because he went to Indiana state and now he's, uh, you know, he, he's got a key role with the Green Bay Packers as a tight end. And you think, man, you know, look at all the people they had at tight end in 2016 and he was one of them, you know, <laughs> and yeah, even
1: with, a guy like Samson Evans, who they're yeah. trying to figure out where, he can play and he just, it's whatever reason he's not breaking through at any position at Iowa. He goes to Eastern Michigan. They find a way to use him. Yeah. You know, um, Emmanuel Vergamba. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, he goes to Miami of Ohio starts yeah. right away and plays and that's fine, man. That's all good for everybody.
0: Bill McKnight. Yeah. Uh, you know, so yeah, that's, that's the, that's the good part of, of the portal. And, and the, and the flip side of it is a guy like Jack Heflin, um, you go prove yourself at a bigger conference so you can get more eyeballs. Now, if you had a 13- or 14-game season, things might have changed there. But I think overall, you look at it as a positive for for somebody like him or or the punters that have come through or wherever. So I think it's a win-win for the most part. The one thing you don't want to see are are guys who either – there's a lot of knee-jerk reactions, I think a lot by the higher caliber or higher star athletes at Blue Blood-type programs that realize they're not going to play right away. So then a semester in, they start looking around. That's, But that doesn't really happen at Iowa. It's more, you know, and, and in the case of these players who have left, it's all a matter of playing time. It's not anything else. And I think that's, if nothing else, you know, a very, very healthy situation for hockey.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned it. I mean, I think you can look at it this way: Um, Romeo McKnight left. Mm Zach Van Valkenberg came in. Yeah, there's your kind of your trade-off there.
0: Mm -hmm. Exactly. And who's who's to say? You know, if Romeo would have stuck around, there was there was some attrition there. Maybe he would have been a a starter, but, you know, he had a quality career and then he went to Charlotte and then he, I think he had a cup of coffee with the Cleveland Browns. I don't know how, you know, if he'll get signed again going into the future or not, but, um, he had his opportunity and Zach had his and Zach improved dramatically from being AJ Fanez's backup to being, you know, a second team all big 10 guy two years in a row. And I think he's put himself in position to probably be a late round draft pick.
1: For sure. And, uh, big shoes to, to fill there. But, uh, Iowa has plenty of candidates as we talked about earlier, uh, to fill his shoes. And, uh, like this case with Linderbaum, you just hope that there's not a lot of drop-off. You're you're probably going to have drop-off more in the case of Linderbaum, probably than Van Valkenburg. Um, Mm -hmm. but that's college football. You got to fill spaces and, uh, fill spots and, uh, it looks like, Scott, I'll use that as a transition into the final topic of the day, the one that people are probably waiting for us to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. Kirk Ference now needs to fill spots on his advisory committee, uh, if that's what it's called now. Uh, I think that's what it's going to be called. Um, this is really um, complicated. Um, you and I talked, or exchanged messages uh, over the weekend, just kind of talked about how complicated this is. And, you know, how many layers to the onion there are. And I'm Mm -hmm. not sure we'll get to all of them in in this conversation, but Scott or I are just going to talk about it and kind of see where it takes us. Uh, I'm going to stay out of the uh, journalist on journalist attacks. I don't think that's productive for me. um, Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's productive for anybody, but I can't tell anybody else how to handle it. Um, I will say that uh, I did not have an issue with Uh, How this thing was reported uh, from anyone. If I had any issue, it may have been with with a headline, Um, and those things happen. Um, And we could talk a little bit about how the story unfolded. Scott, just uh, you know, the Gazette broke your former employee broke this story on Sunday morning. I believe it was. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. Bulk of that story was. accounts from David Porter, who was the uh, chairperson of the advisory committee. And we'll go back and we can talk about kind of when that was um, uh, put into place and, and maybe what it was supposed to do and what it ended up doing and, and what, you know, all that that stuff here. But uh, uh, in that story, uh, the university and Kirk Ferentz were given an opportunity to talk about it. And it was a statement that was released by Kirk. Um, then, uh, Jordan Lomax came out on social media on Sunday after that story was released. Um, little, 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 uh, background here originally. And I won't go too deep in the woods here, Scott. I'm just trying to set the table a little bit. Um, When the committee was released or when the when the idea of the committee was presented to us by Kirk Ferentz way back in Mm -hmm. June of I think it was June of 2020. um, We were supposed to know who was on that committee, like within a week or something. And, you know, it felt like, okay, we'll have some interaction with them and we'll be able to, you know, as news reporters talk about some of the developments with the committee and the program and how it's pushing things forward. None of that happened. And we've gotten very little um, interaction with the committee and behind scenes about what's going on. We're able to talk to the players by all accounts. Things have moved forward. Things are better. Guys feel better in the building. And ultimately that's the most important thing. Um, but we really didn't know. I mean, those of us in the media heard names. We all kind of had an idea who might be on that committee um, But as we've seen since the Gazette released the story, the only public statements made by members of that committee are David Porter and then Jordan Lomax on social media. And and Jordan has been given an opportunity to talk, uh, you know, answer questions and and expound on his thoughts that he gave on social media. And and he or nobody else on that committee, you had the names of the committee in your story that you released on Sunday. You had... Uh, the Lomax portion of that in your story, the Gazette didn't have that opportunity. They reached out to the university. They reached out to to uh, Kirk. Um, they didn't have the letter that was released on Monday to the parents. Um, I'm rambling on here. Uh, those are some of my thoughts, just more of on the timeline. And yeah. I, I don't know if I'm defending the journalists here. I probably am because I am one. Um, I, I think more. I think more was made of how this story was covered than the important things about what the story is. Personally, I thought people got sidetracked on that rather than what happened here. And to me, that's more important. What happened here? Why did this committee not work? Why did it work? Why is it no longer? And if you want to get into the semantics of dissolve or whatever, um that is that's that people got tied up in that too for me scott the current the committee that was there is dissolved that -hmm. committee is no longer there is currently no committee Mm -hmm. so if you wanted to get in semantics there isn't a committee right now so it is dissolved is it going to be reconstituted is it going to be evolved yeah hopefully that's the Mm -hmm. idea but i think too many of those arguments were had in the last four or five days and not enough focus on what was done by the committee and what can be done by whatever the new committee is to make Iowa football better. That's what people should care about.
0: Yeah, there, as you said, there are a lot of layers to this. And I just remember uh, late Sunday night and I thought, the only thing I wanted to do today was watch the 49ers Cowboys and Cowboys. And, I didn't uh, watch and,
1: hardly any football this weekend. Mm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just like, oh, God, here we go. Uh, I think first I was aware of the email that David Porter sent out to the former players, and the, which included some coaches on the staff, suggesting that in order for – real change to take place, that they need a new head coach, um, football staff, and athletic director. And so that's when I knew that was great when I was coming back from Orlando and at that point started looking into some of this, but I was pretty – well, I didn't do it, you know, because I decided And I also know other reporters had that same piece of paper and also chose not to report it at least at that time. Um. Uh, so I was aware. I know you talked in, extensively with David Porter. What was it, September, maybe April? Uh, yeah, but April. Okay. So it's way back Um, about the the committee and the shapings of it and everything like that. Um, I think again this is such a complicated issue, and I I try to be very sometimes even too careful um, with this topic. But so in in some ways I, I look at this as it was it was rushed when it got put together because of the moment. The moment was incredibly intense for Iowa football. A lot of things needed to happen, and a lot of things need to happen quick. Kirk was looking for anything to make this, uh, you know, the situation better, better for his current players, um, smooth relations with his former players, and try to just move a path forward. That I think we can all agree it has happened in some ways, in many ways. It's not. They're not where they want to be. They never will be. And that includes everybody in society. And and we don't need to get into the society at large. We issue. ain't going
1: in those weeds, brother. What's that? <laughs> We're not going into those weeds. Well, exactly. no. <laughs> We're really that alone,
0: let other people discuss it. That's a it. different not,
1: podcast. Yeah,
0: that's a different podcast. <laughs> and I'll not be a part of it. <laughs> I'll let other people be a part of it.
1: And but, it should be noted when that original Idea was floated out there. Mike Daniels was the original, um, yes, the the original selection. I guess you would say to, to chair was. the committee, and he chose not to do it. Um, I've heard different reasons why. Um, one of them being that he's very busy. He's in the NFL. He's got a family. I get mm-hmm. all that, but I, I'm not sure that he was ready to just take on that responsibility. Mm-hmm. And it was so. Then it moved to David Porter, um, and. Uh, I thought a good choice and I still think a good choice just because things didn't work out. I don't think it was a bad choice.
0: Yeah. And you know, that, then, because they're at that point and at all points, there are so many tentacles in so many different areas. And you also have to look at society at large in the summer of 2020 um, in the aftermath of the racial bias investigation. You also have to look at the COVID you also have to look at the big 10 wasn't going to play, was going to play, testing every day, going through all these groups, working with players on campus with explosive meetings when they came back to campus. There's just so many different elements that can Kirk, as one human being, oversee at all? No. And, you know, there was, you know, some delegation and rightly so. Um, you, you saw, you know, Iowa hire in the athletics department hire a DEI executive director and Broderick Benz. I thought was an excellent choice and remains so. Um, and then with this organization, maybe we saw two different visions for what it was supposed to be and two different um, opinions. And and some of that's healthy. I think some of it wasn't handled health in healthy fashion. Um, going through the season, it's very difficult to have some of these discussions. Um, and the off season, it, it, it's easier. And, and I just mean that, you know, and in any other sport, you can kind of deal with that. Football is so intense for the moment that it's hard sometimes to have um, wide, high-minded, uh, wide-ranging discussions. So, you know, there there were some disagreements that didn't go well, uh, meaning that it was supposed to take 30 minutes, took two and a half hours. There was a lot of hard feelings, a lot of aggravation on multiple sides, Ultimately, David wrote what he wrote and Kirk disbanded the committee, If you know, however you want to describe it, dissolved, disbanded, um, put it on <laughs> delayed status. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's it, whatever you want to describe, whatever verb you want to use. But um, either way, did it work? Did it help? And how can it help going forward? I think that's really the ultimate. Those are the ultimate questions of this group. We've gotten to a massive, uncomfortable, pissing match with people putting journalists against journalists on Twitter, and I don't like that at all. Um, and I, I hope that going forward, that there's a recognition that it's uh, it's primarily about the current players in the system, and that's what Kirk Ferentz kind of um, Kirk Ferentz kind of highlighted is. That he's going to reform a committee with younger, more current players who are a part of this. And maybe that's a relationship that they can see if it's, and I'm just throwing a few names out there. If it's Desmond King I mean, or uh, James Daniels and Amani Hooker and Gino Stone or, or some players like that, that maybe they can have a greater impact, you know, as mid guys in their mid twenties for guys in their late teens and early twenties than guys our age, you know? So I'm rambling. I'm talking a lot. Um, There's a lot to it. I think ultimately when hopefully the snow settles down, that these, that these conversations become productive and helpful and help players like Jeremiah Pittman uh, transition to the university of Iowa and help, the current players, if they have a question or if they have an issue that they don't feel comfortable talking to the head coach about that, they could bring this up. And, uh, and then maybe it, there's a go between maybe a discussion, maybe this becomes part of the leadership committee and the advisory committee. And then they, they work through it in healthy fashion and, and everybody becomes better for it. That's the ultimate goal. Um, but right now there's a significant disconnect and, um, this is a, this is a raw nerve that got exposed. And I think it's, it might take some time before it kind of cools off.
1: For sure. And, uh, you know, you just look at it on the surface. And again, we're led to speculate here, which is the most healthy thing in the world. Um, but we still, um, you know, you can, you can listen to uh, a 45 minute interview of David Porter taking questions um, on this podcast feed from Monday. Um, so if you're interested in getting more of his thoughts on this, you can hopefully at some point, Scott, uh, we get to ask some questions of the university um, for, of Kirk. Um, Cause right now all we have really are the statement that he gave uh, you guys, the newspaper, uh, and then the letter to the parents. Um, but to me, just connecting the dots, this broke down with that meeting with the assistant coaches. Because shortly, November is when Kirk said he was decided to go in a different direction. That was after the meeting with the. So, whatever happened in that meeting, which I would like to be able to ask questions about, um, is where this thing came apart because both sides have said the work of the advisor commit, committee was beneficial. They came up with ideas, they put them in place, things are going well, then boom, that meeting happens. And we Mm -hmm. can debate on whether it should have been during the season or after the season. To me, you may disagree with this, it kind of sounded like you did that you felt it would be better in December. To me, this what after what happened in 2020, this should be a priority. And I think you can find some time during a bye week to fit this in. Um, it's the first meeting between the assistant coaches and the, and the advisor committee. I have a question about that. Why did it take 14 months for them to meet with the assistant coaches? Um, Kirk has said that the committee was for him as a soundboard. Then if it's for him, why, why are they meeting with the assistant coaches? Is it also a soundboard for the assistant coaches? Sorry. I'm just freestyling here with questions that are going, I wish I could ask as a journalist, but I can't because nobody's answering them um but again whatever happened in that meeting and i've heard both sides i've heard side you know the the people that didn't that and, and david said this he felt um offended that after 14 months or whatever it was the assistant coaches didn't answer the question presented to them a month before I have not had a chance to answer, ask the assistant coaches publicly why they did it. It wasn't just because they didn't want to meet during the season. Was it, was it that pissing match of, you know, you guys are demanding this meeting of us. We don't want to meet. We're not answering your question. Is as simple as that. Um, again, there's speculation here. There's things that, are go- that have gone through my head. As I said to you before, uh, we started recording. I'm not sleeping well because I keep thinking of questions I want to ask. Because I think it's important to find out what went wrong here to make sure whatever replaces the committee learns from what went wrong. Mm -hmm. I I think right now that the, this
0: is an opportune time to, to define clearly define what this committee is for who it's for and how it's supposed to work. And is this a, a DEI initiative that the advisory committee should be a part of, or is this something that frankly, Broderick Benz is more in charge of and I'll have, how many, I do know that they've had um, training um, for, for bias and other things through the DEI office that the assistant coaches have participated in. So is this just, is this a, a, a committee that's really designed to is equipped to, to, to take that role on or is this out of bounds is this too big for it those those are those are healthy questions and those are ones that need to be answered i think um and, and in time i think they will be i think this maybe helps clear that up and hey we've done this through Broderick benz um, and we've done this through the university's office this is not the committee that you know, helps that, that I, where I should do this. This isn't where this needs to be. And when our team was six and zero and just lost a, a tremendous, you know, lost their chance. They were number two in the country, got beat thoroughly and they've been going hard for two months at 90 hours a week. This maybe isn't the time to have them spend two and a half hours trying to discuss this very important topic. You know, I could see that as well. So I think right now it's just kind of like, it's a tangled mess and there's a comb stuck in there somewhere and it just kind of needs to be untangled, the comb removed. Okay. Now how do we comb our hair going forward? And, uh, and that could, this committee could have a very narrow responsibility and charge and maybe having um, varying levels of involvement by certain members of the committee is not the way to go. Maybe it's, this shouldn't be necessarily somebody sharing it, that it should be a handful of people sharing their thoughts as opposed to one person being in charge. Um, all that's healthy and, discuss, and, and, and for discussion moving forward. It's just you have this very public situation that is going to have ramifications for a lot of people for, for a long period of time.
1: And I do think, I'm not sure they could have done this meeting in a half hour but I also think it was extended because of the way it blew up. Yeah. I think it was maybe an hour would have been a better estimate and had the assistant coaches communicated, hey, we don't feel like we can, we can um, adequately answer your question right now about what we need to do to um, uh, promote DEI, and how we can do that as, as an individual, maybe our minds just aren't there at this time. Um, was that communicated to the committee? Or was it just like, hey, we don't want to meet with you? And there was no explanation as to why they don't want to meet, other than that it's in the football season. You know what I mean? So now there's a communication issue. Um, you know, I, I know people have talked about, well, the committee was able to help the university uh, or help Kirk Ferentz let his players on Twitter and wear hoodies and have earrings and all that other stuff. Well, that happened before the, that was done before the, that was done before they put the committee together, because Kirk mentioned that back in June that he was before the committee was even put together. So really, when you look at what this committee does, we don't, we don't really know Scott. I mean, I talked to um, Tyrone Tracy, I think in Indianapolis, I was like, what has the committee done for you guys and kind of what, um, you know, what changes have been made. And a lot of it was just conversations and these groups that they put together where guys could talk, Mm -hmm. you know, and that was really from day one, better communication was the idea and more hard conversations. And then we get to October and there's a lack of communications, which blows this whole whole thing up. The irony Mm -hmm. there is just, Um, again, we're, we're going through a lot of layers here of what happened with this story. Um, I will say, um, and I, I, you know, I've interviewed David Porter, obviously before I, I, to me, what the, the question that I presented on Twitter that got people mad is what is his angle? Um, what, what, what would, what would he do? Why would he do this? Um, now, the, the decision was made before he sent out that email or message. To me, I don't think you can look at the message that he sent calling for, you know, basically the, the, the football staff to retire and, you know, the AD to retire. He couldn't, one, have thought that that was going to happen by sending that message. Um, I don't know what benefit he saw from that message felt that he was going to get from that message knowing that the assistant coaches were on that thread. Um, why do that? I, I don't think that that's beneficial at all. And I think it speaks to the the impasse and lack of communication here, that that was the way he's approached it. I'm not a black man. People may have noticed from looking at the video here um, that we, put, that, we put out, <laughs> that Scott and I are as white as the driven snow. Um, yeah. So I don't know why, He would do that. Um, What his angle is? He's not paid. It was a volunteer thing. He knows he's going to be alienated by the staff and and the program that he loves. He knows the fan base is going to be pissed at him. What led to that? What did he see that he didn't like? Was it just the meeting with the assistants, and it was just butting of heads, and that? That so? To me, there's so many unanswered questions here about why this thing happened. Um, why things went sideways. Um, But ultimately, as we've said, you have to learn from that experience. We knew this was going to be hard. Broderick Bins Mm -hmm. came out in the summer of 2020 when he got his new job or whatever that was and said, there's a lot of work to do. When Mm -hmm. I talked to David Porter in April, there's a lot of work to do. If anybody's out there that thinks that in 18, 19 months, this thing is fixed, it's (laughs) not, you know? And it needs to be continued to be worked on. And just like back in 2020, where you hope you get better from it, you have to hope that what happened here, you get better from. If you don't, and you're still making the same mistakes, then what was it all for? Right. I think like
0: anything, especially involving this topic, you're talking about significant growing pains. And whether it's miscommunication or or just an unclear path that a lot of times people see things differently. And it maybe but what all, all of this has done, unfortunately, is, is taken, it's clouded up the actual intent of what this whole thing is. And that is to make it a better and more welcoming environment for the for the all players of Iowa athletics in particular, those of color who are the minority on campus. And overall, the conversations I've had with most of them is they feel that it's a better environment. They are they also believe that there's needs to be work, there's work to be done. And this isn't just one thing, as you said. It gets fixed, and you move on, and you forget about it. It's an ongoing daily and issue. You know,
1: I mean, you've talked to Kayvon, Tyrone, yeah. really smart young men, really <laughs> smart young men, and they – Acknowledge the growth, and it, and point to there needs to be more. We got to keep moving. We've got to keep talking. Yeah,
0: exactly. And if it opens up another avenue of communication to where it's more beneficial to have all the key stakeholders, the players, the coaches, staff, former players, then I think I, I think that's the best case scenario. Whatever happened is it became a you know, an untenable or untenable situation with David Porter and the current staff. And whether that's David's fault you know that took on more of a charge and responsibility than what was originally intended, or it's the staff's fault for not clearly defining what his role should be and what kind of opportunities he has to present information, it, it's obvious to me that, that it, was, it was broken. I don't think the system's broken. I think they've done a really good job. And in fact, you know, all you have to do is look at the transfer portal because if players weren't comfortable, they have a bit more of an opportunity to leave today than they ever had before. And nobody would blame them. Um, And yet Iowa has the fewest attrition, at least after the fall semester of any team in the Big Ten. And I think that's something to be applauded that, hey, they're making strides. It's a, you know, Strive, as we say in the Constitution, a more perfect union, a more perfect relationship. Make it as perfect as possible it won't be. Um, so I think how it reforms, to who is part of that committee, how it operates is really important. And then I think probably it's for the best when you have a DEI office and it wasn't quite in place at that point, at least not with Broderick Bins as, as the executive director, that I think probably those initiatives – should come from him because he's trained in, in that area, and I think he could probably provide more information, more background and, and more backbone in some ways because then it's then it's part of the responsibility. and you know whether that should have been David Porter working with Broderick Benz on DEI initiatives, maybe that's the path that it should have taken. It, all, all we're saying right now is, you know, it, it is a confusing situation. There are a lot of tentacles in place. I think in the long run, this will probably benefit Iowa, but it's a, it's a significant growing pain and a very public one at that.
1: Yeah, and I think it's fair to say it's fair. I don't question Kirk Ferentz much on football. Yeah. I do at times, but I defer to him because yeah. of his knowledge of the game and how long he's been in it. Same with most of these assistant coaches that have been in it for a long time. Um, But I'm not sure I can always give him the benefit of the doubt with his, um, you know, his admitted blind spots. I think he continues to need help. I think the staff, most of the staff that's here, they were in place when the problems were. So I think there needs to be oversight. That's the thing. And as Kirk said back at the beginning, he felt like when those players, James Daniels, Mike Daniels, Jaleel Johnson, um, Amani Hooker, there were a lot of different guys, Marvin McNutt and Muj- o- Ojemudia and a bunch of guys that talked about problems. Kirk said, you know, those guys are feel, feel more free to talk about this once they're out of the program and they've lived life and they have life experiences. With that being the dynamic, kids that are in the building right now can't always see things, can't mm-hmm. always – they don't have the life experiences that guys that have been through it and now are outside of the building do. So I think it is important to have former players. Now, we can discuss is it, is it good to just have guys that have been in the program. Recently, to me personally, I like the idea – of bringing together different generations, if you will, of guys that have had life experiences that have been through this program, maybe guys, you know, and I think that group, I think this group had that. I thought it was pretty spread out in terms of guys that have been, you know, um, periods that they were in the program. And I, I kind of like that idea. And also building off what you said, Scott, I think the university needs to be more involved with the DEI, the athletic department with football, not just mm-hmm. football, but all sports. Maybe there's a de- maybe instead of just having Broderick have to deal with the entire athletic department, make him the head of the DEI department and have one or two people, depending on the size of the sport, have somebody that um, uh, kind of works with each individual athletic program and their DEI, and then they can report back to Broadwick. And then maybe they have a head coaches meeting at you know periodically oh, to, do, to discuss DEI. I wish the university would be more proactive. We if they were more proactive, we may not even be in this spot. Because the original report, the internal report back whatever year that. 18, 19, the first one that James Daniels was part of and saw and approached Gary Barta about and said, hey, we got to do something here. Nothing was done until that summer of 2020. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that the university athletic department, university as a whole, is doing enough. They've been given this opportunity after 2020, and it just seems like, as you said, there was no connection between this advisory board and the athletic department? Why, why not do more just to build a system of checks and balances, a system that helps your athletic department? Right.
0: Uh, You know, there's, there's a lot of big questions there and not just beyond sports, but life in general. And I think a lot of this has worked. I think there's room to go, grow in other areas. I mean, I think Liz Tovar has done an incredible job at the higher level of this, not only in the athletics department but beyond. Um, an incredible woman. Um, I think she can be she can lead people not only on campus but beyond, and and certainly is, is has done that. And I think Broderick has worked well underneath her and and uh, and so you know what what happens going forward that that's I think this is just a, a real key moment, a pivotal moment, but I think there's been a lot of, of work that's worked well. I mean, otherwise we would see more attrition. I think players have the ability to, to speak their minds more than they ever have before. They haven't held back. They have discussed things that even haven't worked out. So um, I think this is just an opportunity. Now um, we can agree or disagree on the, on where things sit if this is a problem or if this is um, a work in progress or if they have a, a pretty good solution I don't know I'm not involved in that and and in some ways it, my, I'm not in the target group <laughs> you know I'm on the outside I just think that right now that this is an opportunity to go forward there are a lot of ways they can reshape this um, it's unfortunate it came down to this I don't know if you know, I, I think Broderick has done a really good job, and I think this just emphasizes the need to to continue that or maybe to emphasize it or maybe they've done things with him. I know that they've taken that kind of training um, that now that needs to be emphasized again, you know. So I'm not looking at this as an existential crisis for the football program, but I am thinking that this is a part of, of growing pains, and Iowa is not unique to this. I think there are coaches who take it seriously and those that maybe didn't before take it more seriously now. Um, but as we all agree that it needs to be, there needs to be more steps going forward.
1: No question. Yeah. And, uh, I know it's more than than just a football discussion over there too. I know we tend to focus on that, but I've heard there's work to be done in other programs over there as well. Um, and yeah. that's to be expected. I just – I would like to, to believe that the athletic department as a whole is, is going to handle this the right way. I just can't say that I have confidence in it based on history. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that's fair. And I think that that's why they need to be checked. You know, and they need to have oversight by media – And unfortunately, sometimes that didn't come out the best way, let's say, um, that there could have been a different way. And I don't want to get involved in, in arguing against my former employer, my former colleagues and friends who wrote or didn't write. Um, but I will say that this involves more than, than even race. This involves, um, you know sexual orientation, this involves gender and, that, and so it's well beyond football and it and I think the you know, we've seen that with um you know Title IX lawsuits at Iowa and with, you know involving women's sports teams and and so this issue is so big that it is very difficult to get your, get a grip on it and I think that's what's important going forward and Broderick faces a, a very challenging situation but one that I think he's equipped for and um you know I think the important thing is the next time we talk to Kirk Ferentz okay now what's your plan have you have you formalized your plan do you, you know do you have a committee set and sometimes having too many people on the same committee it can be a real challenge because then you know and in one of the cases the, a lot of the cases i've heard with this one was there were some petty grievance, grievances out there by people about different things that probably had no business being a part of this whether it's who was promoted for who played more who got the draft who did not 20 years ago and who did um uh, you know, whether Hayden's players are treated worse than Kirk's players. I mean, there's just, there are so many little disagreements, arguments that in some ways it's like, ah, that, 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 that doesn't need to happen. And maybe, and smaller is better when it comes to bureaucracy because it can get so bogged down. And, uh, I've seen it firsthand in so many areas that this is, uh, that maybe it's healthier just to reform it, make it smaller. And I, I think ultimately if I was to say, what is the, essential part of this it's to to be a go-between between the current players and the coaching staff and that is you know the maybe representatives of the players and maybe the players themselves should have that vein that open line of communication to the committee to say um hey I think things are going great I, I wouldn't change a thing I'm really happy with the direction or it's like you know what <sighs> this area really bothers me And I don't feel like say anything. I think they would think I'm just complaining and I'm not really trying to complain. I'm just not comfortable with this. Um, and then they tell a player who's 24, 25 years old, who's just dealt with it. And then at some points like Kirk sits down with six of them. And okay, we got this, this discussion here. Maybe we need to discuss this further and find some workable solution. Um, that, to me, is probably the biggest avenue because then, then they can say, OK, well, we understand. We want to, you know, we'll, we'll work on this. And uh, ultimately, the players feel like they have a voice and they had some say. And uh, but then there's also the, the discipline necessary to create a winning football culture. So I, I think that's ultimately what I would consider the charge and the DEI initiatives to handle through Broderick's office.
1: And I think some of the things you mentioned are are natural, uh, human nature. Um, I think if you went through, and and it should be pointed out that there was some turnover in this committee. There were guys that were on the original committee that left and were replaced. And my understanding is, again, whatever the impasse was in that meeting, there were guys from the committee after that meeting that wanted to move on. And the committee was going to replace those guys, but Kirk was at the point now where he felt like instead of replacing, he wanted to change the direction.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
1: fine, whatever you know. How as long as again the, the product we see, products along the wrong word, but organization we see moving forward, if it's p- productive, that's fine. Um, but you look at those guys on that committee, Scott, from different ages. Um. Mm-hmm different backgrounds, different um, skin color, um, different experiences. They all had different experiences in this program. They all – I mean, if I think if you went to each guy on that committee, and I know the argument – you know, I, I've seen this in the fans. Well, Porter was the only one who felt the way he felt. But were there other people that agreed with some of the things that he felt? Were there people on the committee all the way on the other end that think didn't agree with him at all? Probably. We don't yeah. know the the breakdown of where people fell in all of this, but my guess is nobody was in complete agreement and there were different ideas at different. I think if you, if you pulled those, whatever, 10 guys and said, how much, how, how do you feel things have gone? What, where, where, how far along do you think the program is in uh, being more inclusive and moving forward. I bet you you could get 10 different views on that. And that's natural. That's human nature. Um, the, the key is being able to communicate with each other and being open to um, thoughts, ideas, and viewpoints of everybody else.
0: That's the case. and And then there becomes a point where you know, is this healthy for everyone and should it be changed and altered and, and have you gotten away from the original mission? Um, what, as was everybody, the, what was the original <laughs> mission? <laughs> That's where this all fits is it's just kind of this figure eight and it's all over the place. So maybe this is a good opportunity to take the step back, reform it, figure out an official mission because at that point, it was, you know, we know what it was in the summer of 2020. It was, uh, it was like your house burning down and you had to, if you're Kirk Ferentz and you got, had to find a way to you put out a,
1: a limited amount of water to be able to put it out. You're looking, exactly. you're searching for the water.
0: Yeah, exactly. And this part over here wasn't, um, oh, you know, r- the right direction. This part was that sort of thing. Um, now that the rebuilding process is underway, and a lot of the house is rebuilt and looks good, there are other parts that haven't been completed, or um, the baseboards don't align quite right, which I do know unfortunately too well. Uh, <laughs> you know that that you look and say, okay, do we just continue in this fashion, or do we pull them out and do it over again? And and that's and there again, that's what. This part is, and it could all look better. It could all be better. It could all be a more inclusive and better society, or it could be you leave it alone and it looks dingy, or you could um, do a bad job putting it together. And and so, largely, the results have been pretty good. Um, When you again, you look at the the important parts of it, which is the players themselves in interviews seem to seem to represent that this has been a better environment now for them that there hasn't been a lot of attrition and when you look at indiana's lost 22 players that hasn't gotten a lot of work and some of that's you know there's a lot of reasons for that too and and it's not saying that this has anything to do with that but it's just saying that Hey, they only lost five guys that there must be that the players who are here must feel pretty good about the situation, Um, not only competitively, but socially on campus, that sort of thing. Um, And then, you know, the former players are former players. I mean, (laughs) you go, uh, you know, you go to a salon and, and you hear people chirping and it can uh, you know, you, you listen to even old former players. If you're here to get 10 of my former Burlington teammates together to complain about the team, we'd find 10 different opinions real quick. So uh, this is an area where they can improve on. I think it's, it's, you know, public eyesore right now, but I think if Kirk does the right thing and he's capable of it, of putting it together in a fashion that I think can help move the program and take a step forward, then ultimately it could be the, the best thing. And unfortunately, you've got some people who now are, you know, in, in, on the wrong side publicly that it probably won't get passed. I mean, whether David's, David did an admirable job, whether he did a, a great job or whether he didn't, he's now going to be tied to this situation in a negative light for a lot of people. And that's really unfortunate. And, um, you know, perhaps a lot of it would have been, overlooked if he didn't send that letter out um, January 2nd, but but either way, if this causes to have more conversation and moves the subject forward, then I think ultimately it's a win for the program, no matter what the growing pains
1: are. Yeah, and I, you know, I know people have their opinions on what effect his letter on January 2nd had. Kirk said that it wasn't the reason the committee was disbanded that was going to happen anyway. I think the the, the the sad part is not only how David is being viewed now, and he's a smart guy. He knew sending that could put him in this position with the fans and the staff. Again, yeah. I'm not a black guy. I wasn't in those meetings. I don't know what he saw that led him to do that and why he would want to do that, you know, I don't know what his agenda would be. To me, unanswered questions. Again, if you want to listen, 45 minutes, the podcast is on this feed, of what his thoughts are. Um, The the unfortunate thing, Scott, is if they got to that point in November where they were going to go in a different direction, it would have been nice to have a nice transition. And now I don't know if we're going to get that. We're not going to get Kirk saying to David at the end, And maybe an exit. Okay, you were my committee chair for 18 months. What did we do? Well, what did we not do? Well, what do we need to do going forward? That conversation is probably not going to happen. And that's a problem. Because maybe David's the only one that feels strongly about the things that he's seeing that he doesn't like or don't think are progressing fast enough. But his thoughts count, just like anybody else on that committee, and you can learn from that. And then maybe, you know, there's another guy that's in the middle that that looks at it a little bit more positively in terms of the the progress that's been made. And maybe there's another guy that is thrilled with the progress that's been made. But all of those ideas could have been shared, and there could have been a more uh, smooth transition here, and now it's clunky. And I don't know if the best, you know, the most benefit would have come out of a a smooth transition. And now that's not probably going to happen because of a lack of communication.
0: Yeah, Yeah, you're right. And this is the, this is the issue at hand. uh, But ultimately I hope that it all works out for the current players. That's what it's there for. Um, You know, I'll say this, that, you know, I, I think some players. You know, Kayvon Merriweather spoke up on on social media, to to, and I think in some ways they look at this public spat that has spilled over, um, including reporters and fans and and things like that. And I think in some ways they um, they look at it and say, "Come on, don't do this anymore." And and I think in some ways there probably needs to be a kumbaya moment at some point, um, whether it's players, current players, former players and, and everybody else to, to move it forward. And, and uh, I, I don't know, I, I, I remain hopeful. I remain optimistic. I think things have moved in the right direction, but I also think it's a work in progress. And and uh, I guess, you know, the next time we talk to Kirk, we'll ask about this and then beyond, we'll ask about it again, because it's a, it's an important topic and we need to to keep charge of it.
1: It's a big operation. And we, you know, we talked about the other sports compared to football. Football has got a lot of guys, man. Yeah. You know, the roster's way bigger than everything else. And you've got. What? 120 different personalities and kids going through different experiences and, you know, things that impact their lives other than just football you know, you talked about going through a pandemic and you talked about all the other stuff that's going on in the world. Um, it's harder now than, it, than it's been uh, to, to navigate this thing and uh, they, they need as much support as possible. And that's that's the important thing here. Uh, they're giving a lot to the university in, in the hours that they dedicate to being the best football players and, and students they can be. And they deserve that support.
0: Absolutely. Do not agree more, Rob.
1: Let's leave it there, Scott. I'm sure we'll have much more to talk about on this topic as we get more intel. Um, We're able to talk to more people. I know you've talked to a lot of people off the record. (laughs) Great conversations off the record. Wish I could (laughs) talk about them, but I can't. Um, I could just tell you that I have some, you know, I've talked to people that have a lot of different viewpoints on this thing. I've tried to share them as best as I can here, but it's really complicated. And as we said, there's just a lot of layers to the onion. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. And that's the that's the joy of uh <laughs> of doing what we do is if, if if we could really tell each other what we know <laughs> <laughs> It would yeah. be you know much more interesting. Uh, I, I, and I and I only segue just this to lighten it up a little bit, but I do remember coming back from Nebraska in 2011, and uh, Morehouse and I were just talking about you know they lost, they look bad losing, not unlike some of their losses this year, and. We just kind of left it at this. The whole thing smells like a bottle of aqua velva. It smells like old man, That's old spice. And then we just kind of joked that I that one. And then, there, and then there was like this fantasy college football draft in like 2016, where we had coaches going everywhere. And, and both times, we we're like, man, if people heard this podcast, they would be on <laughs> for sure. But so yeah, with this topic and others, uh, a lot of others. um, Yeah. But and I I don't mean to piss people off. (laughs) Say, God, well why don't you tell us? But I, I think everything that I've said today and I know that you've said has been fairly represented that we that I'm not speaking or saying anything that um that I have not heard, you know. I'm not saying anything false that I have heard differently than, you know, I've, I've just said it in different words and not really attributed it to, to certain people. So, and there's others, there's other information, but at this point, I think we're, we're, we're representing the situation fairly. There are multiple viewpoints. And as long as we do it constructively, I think then that's all you can ask for. Right.
1: Now. Yeah. Great discussion. And we talked about earlier in the week, we were looking forward to this one. And I think both you and I have maybe not overtly, but in our words, in this podcast, have kind of shared some of the intel conversations we've had without, um, you know, compromising or, uh, you know, um, breaking trust of the people that we talk to to try to get the best picture mm-hmm. for the fans to give them the best information that we have to give them the best picture of what, how we see it. Um, and we have both shared ideas here uh, and thoughts. And I think it's been productive and hopefully people listening to the podcast kind of step back from the emotion of all of this. Cause I yeah. think that's been the hardest point and hopefully we're getting to that stage <laughs> of craziness and drama, Scott, where you step back from the emotion and kind of think critically and hopefully this podcast helps a little bit in that process.
0: Yeah, I hope so too. I hope that the the raw nerve is kind of calmed down a little bit. Let's just let's just take it for what it is and not what we think it's going to be, and and uh, the emotions attached. Let's lock them down a little bit. And I think if we can, then eventually we can find some some room to grow.
1: Looking forward to talking more football.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Moving towards the spring, we'll talk a lot more about basketball. obviously, obviously a key stretch for basketball wrestling big big duel tomorrow at ohio state that's on the big 10 network women's basketball tonight at minnesota is on the big 10 network so plenty of actual competition Mm -hmm. in iowa sports to focus on Mm -hmm. let's kind of let's kind of look at that and we'll talk about that next week sound sound good Sounds good to me, Rob. I'll be all for it. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully the fans are as well, and hopefully uh, uh, people uh, get some value out of this podcast. Um, I know I did. So for Scott, this is Rob Howe, and uh, this is the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast, and we will talk to you a week from today. Say goodbye, Scott.
0: Goodbye, Scott.